Well, that was cool. I'm glad we had that opportunity to do that. So, um, <clears throat> well, hey, a few summers ago, I had really what was one of the most amazing uh, opportunities to go away. I appreciate the kindness of Calvary. One of the things bunches of churches do in Calvary is give folks sabbatical time away. And uh, after seven, eight, however many years, you guys gave that to me. And it was great. And I went to Vermont. And uh, man, I love Vermont. And I thought to myself, I'm in Vermont with my fishing pole and my tour de forerunner and my cast iron skillet and my boots, and so I need to do good outside things. So like almost every day I'd go hiking and there's different entrances to the Appalachian Trail. I am not one of these dudes who's gonna be dropped off in Georgia and 17 years later make my way to wherever it ends. But uh, you know, day by day I'd do a little bit of it. I didn't get eaten by a bear, so that was encouraging. And there was one hike that I went on and I just kind of paused in the middle of it for a variety of reasons, not just because I was winded and exhausted. <laughs> I'm like, man, if I'd brought me a, you know, graham cracker or something right about now, I'd have been good. But, but I was on this hike, and I, I was almost to the top, and I paused, and I took one picture, and here's one of the photos that I took. Oh, my God, I can smell it, right? I can just, oh, the fresh pine air with thoughts. This was um, looking down, and I know it looks just like a flat field, but, I mean, it was down, right? And I just paused for a minute on this hike, kind of along my journey, and I looked back at where I'd been. And I just sat there and literally just kind of looked back, looked over, looked at what was behind me. And then I turned around and I looked at what was yet ahead of me. And I took a picture of that. And that was what was yet ahead of me. And I thought, oh, I'm almost done. And then I got up there and there was more, right? But in this moment, um, Again, for a variety of reasons, I just took a photo of what was behind me and looked back and thought about the hike I'd been on. And then I took a picture of what was ahead of me and what I was still to experience and to encounter and what was going to be coming along the way. I was in a place where I looked back and I was in a place where I also looked ahead and looked forward. And we're working through the book of Revelation. If you're just visiting with us today or jumping online, we've been in this for about a year. And we are in chapter 19 of Revelation. And we'll be done with Revelation by the end of August. And in many ways, chapter 19 is this moment. Chapter 19 is John the author, under the inspiration of Scripture, that in chapter 19, it kind of does two things. It looks back and yet it also looks ahead. It's kind of this bridge chapter, this bridge moment. And John is going to look back over the things that we talked about the past two weeks. He's going to look back, and there'll be these, this response to what we've seen in chapter 17 and chapter 18, and John's going to record what people do as they look back over what those two chapters talked about, what we talked about the past two weeks. But, but then there's also going to be this looking ahead, and saying, man, that's in the rearview mirror. There's something out the windshield in front of us. There's something up here that is waiting for us and coming for us. And chapter 19 is going to help us start to look to that. And so we're just going to kind of walk through chapter 19, a good bit of it, not all of it. And we're going to do it uh, structurally, the way it's laid out. And so as we walk through it, we're going to just see several structural boxes. The chapter is laid out in several structural boxes. We will talk about what those boxes, what that structure is, what the topic talks about in each structural bucket category. And then from that, we're going to pull a principle. 
we're going to pull kind of an application and uh, an application for each structure. So we're going to look at the structure, the structural units from each structural unit. We're going to pull a principle, and then from each principle, we're going to pull an application. So. Here we go. The first structural section, right? It's, if you are a note taker or if you have the bulletin, this might help you kind of orient it uh, to keep track of where we're going. But the first structural section of Revelation chapter 19 is in verses 1 through 4. And it's really a series of three worship songs. There are three worship songs, and each of those worship songs begins with the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. And hallelujah means praise the Lord. All I can think of right now is that song. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Anyway, hallelujah means praise the Lord, okay? And so there's three worship songs in this first bucket. Each worship song starts with that. And these three worship songs are looking back. These three worship songs are looking back over what God did in chapter 17 and chapter 18. And if you missed it, in chapter 17 and chapter 18, it was talking about the way that one day God is going to destroy Babylon. And we said what Babylon was, was essentially anything that is anti-God, any worldview, any truth, any philosophy, any approach to money and stuff, anything that isn't the way God wants it to be in his kingdom, one day God is finally going to end those things. And God's kingdom values, God's truth, God's way is going to prevail. And, and so people in heaven are looking back and thinking about the day when God's going to do this, and they're singing these worship songs in response to that. And verses 1 through 2 are song 1. Verse 3 is song 2, and verse 4 is song 3, and I'm just going to read them to you. So here's the three worship songs in the first bucket of the structure, and here's what it says. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute. Remember, we've talked about that in chapter 17 two weeks ago, what that is, what it stands for. Who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, second worship song, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever, meaning when God judged it, he ended it, and it's never going to come again against him. And then third song in verse 4, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. Three songs looking back over what God did in chapter 17 or 18 is the first bucket of this chapter. And here's kind of the summary of the first structural Section. The first structural section is this. Three songs praising God for finally defeating and saving people from every false worldview and lies. Three songs praising God for finally and finally defeating and saving people from every false worldview and lies. The praise to God in this first part is flowing from, man, God's victorious and amazing work and salvation that came from God. The praise to God is flowing from the salvation and the victory and the work from God. And that kind of raises this first principle, and the first principle is this. The salvation and rescue the king gives to us deserves praise and thanks 
from us. The, the broader principle, right, in, in this chapter, they're looking back and they're saying, man, God defeated things that weren't true. He will do that one day. God's going to defeat all these philosophies that are wrong, and they praise him because of his victory. They praise him because of how he saves them, which shows this broader principle of this, the salvation and rescue the king gives to us deserves praise and thanks from us. And so, here's the first application, here's the first thought this morning. Thank God for what he will do and what he has done. This morning, right, we don't need to wait till the events of Revelation 17 and 18 unfold to start praising God. Because this morning, for those of us who are followers of God, there are things that he has promised he will do for us. And as we look back over the course of their li- our lives, there are ways that he has already provided for us. And, and this morning, right, the application that flows from this principle is this, thank God for what he will do and for what he has done in each of our lives. As you think back over your own story, right, as you're sitting here this morning and you look back over all the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and the amazings in the heart of your life, there are ways that in different moments you were going through something and God showed up. You prayed for it, He answered. You prayed for it, you prayed for it, you prayed for it, you waited, you waited, you waited. He answered. He provided, he delivered, he protected, he showed up. As you think about your story, what is, what is one way that God did that, has done that in your past? What's one moment? What's one snapshot? What's one thing that's happened when everything seemed to be falling apart that can only be attributed to the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God for not forgetting you but for showing up for you? And whatever that thing is, it's an amazing opportunity for you this afternoon, this evening, this week to thank him for that. Thank him for that. One of the biggest, I've said this before, antidotes to anxiety, you know what it is? It's gratitude. It's gratitude because we're not worrying about what we don't know or what we might have, but we start being grateful for what God has already done and how he's already provided and how he's already showed up in an amazing way. Sometimes that can just turn the volume down, get us to a place of contentment, which starts to get us to a place of rest. What is one promise that God has made to you about the future? What is one thing that God said, look, I absolutely guarantee that one day I will do this. Man, thank him for that. I think many times we're people who focus more on what we don't have or what we wish God would do for us, that we skim past or we take for granted all the amazing things we do have and all the amazing things he has done for us and all the amazing things he promises he will do for us. And thank God for what he will do and what he has done because the salvation and rescue the king gives to us deserves praise and thanks from us. The next structural section is kind of that turn in the road 
where again, John's seeing this vision, right? And he's seeing this vision of how people will respond to what's happened in the past. And now it's this, this turning where he's looking up ahead. He's looking at some of the, the things that are going to come as he's continuing to walk up that path. And it's a story of revelation, is looking forward. And so the next structural section contains a final song, a fourth song, in verses 6 through 8. And that song is this. It uses this metaphor. And so the second structural section is the fourth song, verses 6 through 8. And it says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of the great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For, right, so here's the reason for all that. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Throughout Scripture, there's this metaphor of a wedding. There's a metaphor that's woven throughout the pages of Scripture that talks about one day when Jesus and his people are going to be reunited again, when Jesus and his people are going to be celebrating together and worshiping together and reunited together. And the metaphor that's woven through Scripture is this idea of a marriage, this idea of a wedding. And, and the, the metaphor is that the p- people of Jesus are like the bride. And the metaphor is that Jesus is the groom. And that one day the groom, Jesus, and his people, the bride, are going to be reunited together and right, symbolically married because they're going to be joined together. And on that day of that symbolic wedding, there won't need to be any more faith. There won't need to be any more hope because it all will be fulfilled and it all will be seen. No more faith. No more hope because on that day of that wedding, of that reunion, we will be living by sight. And on that day, we'll be like, man, it all was true. It all was true. Every dark moment that we doubted, every time we wondered, every time we said, I don't know, but I'm not going to listen to my feelings, I'm just going to keep living by faith, we'll one day see that it all was worth it Where when we get to where we're going. The reunion, the joining, the marriage of Jesus, which will be initiated when the king comes again. Right? When the king comes again. I've performed a lot of weddings in my day. Uh, I actually had a daughter get wedding, right? And one day, right, the big thing, and this is a hint about weddings. Always tell the dudes to get to the church a lot earlier than they have to, right? Because like if the wedding starts at five, you don't want the dudes at somebody's house trying to put on their bow ties at like 4.55, right? But, but what happens is, man, what, what, what is essential in a wedding to make it happen is the groom's got to show up. He comes to where the bride is to be there for the ceremony. This is all looking ahead to the day when Jesus, the King, will come again to be with his people. This song is looking ahead down the road to that. The the second structural section is this, a song 
looking ahead to the king's pending return. And with this mention of Jesus' return, we're now kind of in the, we're now like in the season three of a three-season series in the book of Revelation, okay? There is no, there is, there, there's an amazing story after this, but as far as what's recorded for us, we're like in the final season. Remember when Seinfeld was the final season, right? It's like this is, this is the script is going to end in a moment, and, and we are close to the revealed script ending, and yet an amazing story that'll go forever. There's going to be a series of things that we're going to check off in the next few weeks together under this futurist view of Revelation that begins, that's initiated right here with the king's pending return. And so here's what we're going to see in the next week, right? As this structural section looks to the king's return, well, we're taking a futurist view. We're saying that a lot of what we're, pretty much everything from chapter four onward that we're studying about looks ahead to things to come. We say it almost every week. We could be, I could be wrong in that. There's some other views it could be, but under a futurist view, we're now in the final episodes of the final season before the eternal story begins. And so in the next few weeks, this is what we're going to see. Jesus returned to earth. It starts next week, man. And, um, We'll, we'll get a little preview of it soon. And then these are what, under this interpretation, futurist will unpack happening. The capture of the enemy and the temporary imprisonment. And then there's lots of debate and discussion about this, but we'll explain while we're taking it. Jesus' thousand-year reign on earth, where King Jesus will actually be reigning on earth. Uh, then we'll talk about Satan's final judgment. And then the story ends with the earth being redeemed, the new heaven earth, and man, everything the way it should be. This is where we're going, and the first domino tumbles with Jesus' return to earth, which is what this song is looking forward to. And as the people singing this song look forward to this, to this reunion, to this fate, to this, this, this being together, man, they are just hallelujah. They're singing. They're joyful. They're expectant. They're excited about it. Here's the principle that comes from this structural section. Second principle, the subjects of the king should look forward to the return of the king. How expectantly am I and you and we looking forward to Jesus returning? Do we even think about that? It is the only time that we think about that, like when we're in church talking about revelation? Or do we live our lives being so grateful for the gracious kindness of God and the joy he gives to us and the blessing he gives to us, and we savor that and we're thankful for that, but yet we, we know that there's a stirring, that there's something missing. We know that things are broken, and we look ahead knowing that, man, the king is going to come and he's going to fix what is broken. And we can't wait. You know why? Because you can't fix it on your own. I can't fix it on my own. As awesome as our church is and as great it is to go on missions trips, we can't fix it on our own. No political system can fix it. No government policy can fix it. No candidate for president can fix it. There's one person who can fix 
everything. And everything needs to be fixed. And that one person is King Jesus. And how frequently do we just pause and say, man, I can't wait for it to be fixed. Our Ford excursion, one day, you know what I'm going to do before, before August 27th comes, right? Uh, which is new chapters, all that. I'm going to bring a few things on stage so you know I'm not uh, making things up. I'm going to bring our Ford excursion up. I'll, I'm not really going to do this. I'm going to drive my Toyota 4Runner with a shiny bumper up, and I'll bring my dog up. And then you will now see every illustration that I've ever used in 10 years. Our Ford Excursion, uh, my forerunner is running like a champ, by the way. Uh, our Ford Excursion has this mystery sound that sounds like this. You get the point? Uh, we take it to the mechanic twice, love the mechanic, don't love the two bills I've gotten, and it fixed for like 12 hours, and the next thing you know, like... You, you pull into like, you know, ShopRite and like the grandmas grab their kids thinking like a beast of the apocalypse is coming to destroy them, okay? I can't wait for that sound to be fixed because it drives me crazy, right? You know what I think about every time I hear that coming down the street? I just want that fixed. I just want that fixed. I just want that fixed. Man, and the challenges and the broken things in our lives that need to be fixed are far worse than a squeaking Ford excursion. Man, we need hate between people to be fixed. We need unforgiveness in families to be fixed. We need injustice. We need unkindness. We need angry, uncontrollable tempers. We need addictions to be fixed. To be fixed. And some of you know that. Because for some of you, that's the squeaky problem. Because you're just in it. And man, one day it's going to be fixed. And are we expectantly looking ahead to that day? Second application, right? Expectantly uh, wait and actively wait for King Jesus to return. Expectantly and actively wait for King Jesus to return. And then we enter our third and final structural section of this that focuses on what this king is like. And the third structural section, right? First one was three worship songs. Second box was one worship song. And now our third and final structural kind of box um, in the verses 11 through 16 is four truths about the king who is coming. Third structural section, four truths about the king who is coming, right? It's like, man, y'all look forward to that king. The king is coming. It's going to be great. And then God inspires and reveals some truths about that king who's coming, some things we can look forward to, some attributes of what he's like. So let me read to you um, what this is in 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting in it. Now this is he's seeing Jesus. He's seeing the king coming back, and these are all descriptions of him. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one names himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and his name, on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Four descriptions in this structural section that shows us this principle that's not only shown here but throughout Scripture. And the principle that's linked with this is that throughout Scripture, we learn who our king is and what he is like. This is a story of who your king is and what that king is like. And, and from this section, we see a four things about him, four snippets of what this king is like that's being revealed in this third structural section. And so what is he like? What is this telling us about what Jesus is like? If he's your king, if you're a follower of him, what kind of king are you following him? Well, the first truth that we saw from those verses at this is that King Jesus is faithful and true. King Jesus is faithful and true. Verse 11, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Faithful. Your king, who is in charge now, is faithful. And he is also true and can be trusted. He is loyal to you. What he promises he will do, he will do. Jesus will keep all of his promises and he never, ever, ever will lie to you. Your king is faithful and true. What's the second attribute that we read from this about it? Well, it comes out of verse 12. His eyes are like flames of fire. Symbolic language again, but th this is... This is um, Showing the idea that, man, like nothing can be hidden from them. Nothing. It, it cuts through everything. If I had a little piece of paper up here and an amazing blowtorch, I mean like a high-end welding blowtorch, and I took that blowtorch through that piece of paper, that blowtorch, it would right through it. Nothing can stop the flame. And, and the, the analogy is, man, Jesus sees everything. Jesus sees everything, which means this. It, it has this encouraging and challenging piece. The challenging piece is this, that nothing is hidden from Jesus. We can hide things from each other. We can have secret sins. We don't think anybody knows about it, but you know what? Jesus does know. You can never fool Jesus. You can do an amazing job in your minivan fooling all of us driving in here. And some of us do, right? That, the best thing in my marriage has been being a pastor because I drive to church separately, right? <laughs> because I'm the one who's always yelling at the kids, get your shoes, get your baba, 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 right? And man, some of us, that's their story. We're, 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 we're lunatics in the minivan, screaming at our two-year-old who accidentally dropped the Cheerio. And then the mini that minivan door open, what are you? You guys better smile. You'll smile. Hi, oh man, we're so blessed this morning. You can fool us. And Jesus is like, Bubba, you think you're fooling me? We laugh about it. 
But you know who else you're not fooling? You're not fooling your kids. You're not. And we can try to cram truth down our kids' throats and force them to do devotions. And I'm not saying that structure is bad, but what I'm saying is kids watch. And if we're the guys screaming at them in the minivan because they accidentally spilled a Cheerio and we are lunatics, and then we act here like we're the, you know, we're, 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 like we act like we're the angel Gabriel when we come in here, our kids are like, I'm on to you. And they may think to themselves, I'm on to you, and it's just a matter of time. Can't fool our kids, can't fool Jesus, he sees everything. But here's the encouraging flip side of this. Jesus sees everything. Jesus knows the hurt you're going through that we don't know. Jesus knows the way you were wrongly treated that we don't know. Jesus knows why you cried yourself to sleep two nights ago or why you got up at 3 o'clock this morning so worried or upset about something. He knows it all. He sees it all, which has a challenging piece but also a comforting piece to it. The next truth, the third out of four truths about Jesus is shown in two verses. The first is in verse 12 where we continue reading. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems, right? Diadems are like crowns and jewels and the symbol is that Jesus has gone around and in this moment he's plucked up the crowns of all these other kings of the world. I mean, he's got it on his head because he is the king, right? He has taken their crowns because he's the king. I love to play online chess. I am horrible at it. But man, I think I'm like Gary Kasparov or something. I get my little seltzer, I play a little chess and let me tell you something. In chess, if you start taking the other people's pieces, the person who has the most pieces is typically the one who's going to win. And what this is saying is, man, Jesus has all the other crowns. Everything else that is claiming to be the authority and the ruler and the right thing and the proper thing, Jesus is like, man, I'm taking your crown because I'm, I'm the man. And I'm going to win. We, we, we see that, right? Because he's more powerful. Another verse shows us that more clearly. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Of all the kings, man, he's the king. And of all the people who claim to have authority, he has authority over them. He is above everything. He is over everything. He is in charge of everything. And the third truth is this. King Jesus is sovereign over it all and over everyone. Your king, if you're a follower of Jesus, is sovereign over everyone and over everything. And here's the fourth truth. The fourth truth is this, that King Jesus will fight and defeat his enemies. King Jesus will fight and defeat his enemies. And next week, man, that, that, that's coming. That's coming. Revelation 19.13, we read it, it shows this. His he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, most scholars think that this is the blood of his enemies. And we saw Jesus before, meek and mild, riding on a donkey, humbly in, quiet before his accusers. But this last picture that we see is Jesus saying, it's enough. It's enough. I'm done. And I'm coming to fix it all. A king who is saying, enough evil, enough wickedness, 
Enough violence, enough hate, enough lies. I am coming to fix it all, and I'm not going to be quiet, and I'm not going to be silent, and I'm not going to be stopped because all of that stuff causes so much pain, and I'm coming to fix it. And I'm coming in hard to make it all better. Justice is coming. Hope is coming. These four truths, right? We've seen the four truths. Here's what these verses have shown us in this third structural section. I think we got one slide that has the four truths. Jesus is faithful and true. Jesus knows it all and sees it all. Jesus is sovereign over it all and everyone. And Jesus will fight and defeat his enemies. So what's the application that we can take from that this morning? Here's the application. Trust the king. Trust the king. Is there something going on in your life right now that you're anxious and you're worried about? I bet for 99.99% of the people in this room, the answer is either yes or you're a liar. (laughs) What are you anxious about? Now, if you're anxious about something that you've gotten yourself into because you're not living the way that Jesus wants you to live and you're facing the consequence of that, well, then you all need to start doing what the king wants you to do, right? But, man, life is hard, and COVID tipped so many of us over the edge in terms of anxiety and depression. I don't, it'll be fascinating to see in the years to come what that did to our psyches, but it did something. And some of us have something that we're anxious about and they're worried about that's either has happened or will happen. Jesus' promises will come true and he has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Never leave you nor forsake you. Do you feel like it's, life's just out of control? Like you, you don't know where to turn You don't know what to do. You don't know where to start. You don't know where to stop. You feel like you can't keep it together. Well, guess what? There's someone who can keep it together. There's the king of kings and lord of lords who's sovereign over everything, who is in control. So trust the king. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You may not feel that. But that doesn't change the truth of the promise that he has said. He will never leave you nor forsake you, so trust the king. He is sovereign and he is in control of everything, so trust the king. And I want to give us, as we wind this down, a a tangible way to do that, okay? So in your bulletin on the screen is just a prayer. Just a, just a model prayer that I drafted to maybe give you something this week to help you trust, right? And I'd encourage you, if you're struggling, just to pray this. Father, through the Spirit, please help me to trust you with blank this week. Whatever it is. Keep me from lies and anxiety. Keep me from thinking that I have to handle this issue all on my own. May I give it to you? and help me to leave it with you. It's nothing sovereign. It's nothing magical. It's not gonna, if you pray this, this is not Jack and the Beanstalk magic beans. It's not going to make everything necessarily, probably won't make you feel instantly better. And, and maybe you'll pray this, and you'll have to keep waiting and waiting and waiting, which is only going to discourage you more. 
that's what God sometimes does. He makes us wait, and while we wait, you know what we do? We keep trusting. While we wait, we keep trusting. And we keep trusting by praying and speaking to him and affirming our trust. Father, through your spirit, please help me to trust you with blank this week. Keep me from lies and anxiety. Keep me from thinking that I have to handle this issue on my own. May I give it to you and may I leave it with you. Next week, we're going to see this description of when that mighty warrior general king comes back to earth. The battle, the conflict that's going to take place between people who hate the king and the king. That's next week. But as I call the worship team up here as we move into the next element of our service, uh, this week, right, what chapter 19 was all about, it was about essentially that hike I went on. It was about looking back at something and looking forward to something. Looking back at what God's done, looking forward to the coming of the king. This morning, so far in the sermon, we looked back and we looked ahead. And we have a tangible way to do that together as a body for those of us who believe in Jesus now. And the way that we get to do that now together as a body is through remembering the Lord's Supper. It's something instituted for the people of Jesus. If you don't yet believe in Jesus, then we would ask you not to participate, but instead to consider, why don't you believe in him? What are you believing in instead? What if it's really true that a guy came back from the dead? Just what if that is true? Why would we not believe in that? But this morning for us who are believers of Jesus, this gives us a way to do what we did in the sermon and do what we did in my hike, to look back and to look ahead. Here's what Jesus said on the night that he did this. He, he, one of the biographers refers to it <clears throat> this way. Now, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. I'll invite the elders to come forward who are going to be part of this this morning as well. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he gave him thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What he instituted on that day was a way for those dudes in that room to after he died and came back to life and went to heaven, to gather together for a meal, to hold on to something, to grab something, to touch something, to, to tangibly have something that they could do and remember to take them back and look back to what Jesus did for them. This, this morning, is something that has been handed down for centuries after centuries after centuries after centuries that started with Jesus himself. That's pretty cool. What we're about to do started with Jesus himself. Jesus is like, do this. We're about to do it. And we do it this morning to look back. And we look back this morning as we do this to the incredible, overwhelming, steadfast love of a king who died for you. Of someone who stood in your place so that you would only ever experience the love and the forgiveness and the peace and the removal of shame from God and never experience punishment for the sin because Jesus experienced that for you. Jesus experienced 
everything for everything that you've done wrong. There is no more condemnation. It is finished. You are forgiven because not because of how good you were, but because of how amazing Jesus was in fully paying the cost for you and then for putting death in its grave. That's what we look back to. We don't look back to how much we did or didn't cuss this week to try to earn our way to God. We don't look back to how nice we were. We look back to Jesus who said, I am sufficient. It is finished. But we don't just look back because what Jesus says is, hey, there's something also for which we can look ahead because Jesus said this on that night. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until... That day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, when the king comes back, one day, it ain't going to be no pastor sitting up here. It's going to be Jesus. And he's going to say, man, let, let, let's take some bread. And let's have some wine. And let's have a meal together because we are reunited. And I am so glad that you are finally home and that it is all well. And Jesus said to the dudes at that table, hey guys, one day you're going to do this again with me. And you know what? If you're a believer of Jesus, one day you will do this with Jesus. And this gives us a chance now to look forward to that day. We're people who look back remembering Jesus. We're people who look ahead saying, man, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come, thinking about that day. And all of that is wrapped up into this moment now. And so what I'm going to do is just give you a few moments that you see quietly. And, and I'd encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can, you can spend the time looking back or looking ahead because it's all wrapped up in here. But, but let's not just do this out of ritual. Let's just not like do this like, like, like mindlessly. Let's do this thoughtfully. Thoughtfully. Looking back to what gives us hope and looking ahead to when that hope is realized. I'm going to give you a few moments of silence, then I'll pray for us and invite you to do what is next. Father, thank you that you have given us something to remember Jesus by. Thank you that this is not just ritual or an empty exercise, that this is something that our king has set up for us, and as we do this, we are, we are continuing the tradition of what he established. Because, God, it's easy for me to forget. It's easy in the busyness of our lives to have what is unimportant squelch out what is so important in moments like this father give us time to pause and i pray that in this moment father in these moments you will continue to just have us be grateful for what jesus has done and for those of us who are struggling fill us with hope about the day when we look forward to jesus thank you for the love and for the sacrifice and for the grace amen Whenever you're ready and as you're ready, I'd invite you to come forward and receive the elements from one of the men up here. And we're not going to come and take it back together, but you'll have a chance to take it back to your seat. So when you're ready and as you're ready, come forward.